This message by Chad Porter, entitled "Our Great High Priest," was recorded at Old Spring Church on May twenty-six, twenty nineteen. The text for this message is Hebrews chapter seven, verses eleven through twenty-eight. This morning's scripture reading comes from the book of Hebrews, chapter seven. We'll be reading verses eleven through twenty-eight. Hear now the word of the Lord. Now, if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek, rather than the one named after the order of Aaron? For when there is a change in the priesthood, there is also necessarily a change in the law as well. For the one of whom these things are spoken belonged to another tribe from which no one has ever served at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah, and in connection with that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. This becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become a priest not on the basis of legal requirement concerning bodily descent, but by the power of an indestructible life. For it is witnessed of him, you are a, a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. For on the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness, for the law made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. And it was not without an oath. For those who formerly became priests were made as such without an oath. But this one was made priest with an oath by the one who said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office, but he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need like those other high priests to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of his people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath which came later than the law appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. Amen. So far, the reading of God's Word. You may be seated. Let's pray together once more this morning. Father, we come to You as Your people, connected to You, as it were, through our great High Priest, High Priest Christ Jesus, exalted into the heavens. And we come as weak people in desperate need of Your grace, and so we pray that You would give that to us this morning. We pray that we would find mercy and help in our time of need, that You would give us eyes to see, give us ears to hear what Your Spirit is saying to us through Your Word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. For... The next few weeks, many of you know, uh, Sam is out of town, and so you are stuck with me, for better or for worse. And during these next three weeks, we're going to do a short series before we begin uh, walking systematically through the book of First John, which we'll do after Sam gets back. And our short series over these next three weeks 
is kind of, I, I titled it, Sing Great Songs. And that may not make much sense to you, but uh, let me give a bit of a preference, preface to what this series is all about and what we're doing these next three weeks. Um, some worship songs are great and awesome, and some worship songs are not. Uh, they are not as great and not as awesome as others. And I'm supremely thankful for our worship leaders here at Wellspring who put intentional thought into the songs that we sing. And so we sing many great and rich and deep biblically saturated worship songs here on Sunday mornings. And what we're going to do these next three weeks is use one such song that we sang this morning during our offering uh, before the throne of God. And we're going to take that song and explore more deeply three biblical themes which are so foundational to what we sing in that song. We're going to take it verse by verse, the first verse, the second verse, the third verse, and it's going to kind of help bracket our series these next three weeks. And so this week we're going to focus on Christ Jesus as our great high priest, as we see from Hebrews 7 here. And then we'll talk about different themes the next two weeks. And we'll actually have a chance to sing this song each week. And so it's my hope that with every passing week, we're able to sing it more robustly, more fully, that there's more substance behind the words that we're saying as we're reflecting more intentionally upon these great truths that God has laid out before us in His Word. And so that's where we're going just these next few weeks before we start our series on 1 John. But that's enough about the series as a whole. I want to start talking about this sermon in particular, this text here in Hebrews 7. And to do that, I want to ask if you've ever examined how kids eat. We've, many of us here in this room have, you know, young children. We see that by all the kids who are in here when we sing worship songs. And now we look and there's all these, <laughs> these empty spots because all of our kids are in, in uh, gospel train or so many of them are. But even if you don't have kids, you have experience with kids because you're here on Sunday mornings with kids. You have interactions with your friends, with your loved ones, with your nieces or nephews. And so I ask if you've ever analyzed or thought about how kids eat. And there's a lot we could say about this, but particularly something I was thinking about is how much a child can be offered a way better meal than what they have or what they want, and they could be so uninterested in it. Like you could be eating and offering them the greatest steak or pick your favorite meal, your favorite cuisine. The thing that's like, it's undeniably amazing. And you know that this kid will like it. You know they will actually appreciate it if you could just get it into their mouth. But they do not want to put it in their mouth. They want their piece of bread or their grilled cheese or their cold chicken nugget or like really weird things <laughs> that kids like and they just get stuck on. Like, no, I want this. Yet so much more is waiting for them if you could just convince them to try it. And I thought about this because this is really what the author or the writer to the Hebrews is encountering here in this book in chapter 7. He's approaching and encountering a people who are tempted to go back to the Old Testament types and shadows of the Mosaic kind of Old Covenant law and sacrificial system. This system which served a beautiful and glorious purpose, but which was insufficient to give them what they truly needed. 
And they have something so much better for them in Christ Jesus, offered for them through His priesthood. Through Him standing as their high priest, but they're tempted to go back. And you can't, you kind of, you can't, she's trying to get them to open their mouth to taste it, right? You know, don't go back to this bad thing. Go to this beautiful, glorious, awesome thing. And that's what we encounter in our text this morning in Hebrews 7 when we start talking about Jesus as a high priest and His priesthood, which is different than the old and so much better. And more specifically, we see through our text this morning, we are encouraged, we are admonished this morning to rest assured. Rest assured because Christ has secured your salvation from sin's power and sin's presence by His priestly function. Rest assured because Christ has secured your salvation both from sin's power and from sin's presence through His work as your great high priest. And that's what the author, the writer, or the preacher to the Hebrews is telling us in chapter 7 this morning. And that's what we'll be taking the rest of our time together to think about. And we'll be thinking about it under three kind of main points. And these three main points are three main ways that the writer shows that Jesus' priesthood is far superior to what they've encountered and what they want to go back to through the Mosaic Law, through the Mosaic Covenant, through the Levitical priesthood. And those three ways that Jesus' priesthood is better can be summarized under the three words power, presence, and assurance. And those will be our three points this morning. Power, presence, and assurance. And so let's think, let's start, let's begin, as we always do, with the first point, with the first item, which is power. Jesus' priesthood is better because of its power. And maybe it's important to say a word here as we kind of begin at the outset, what the Mosaic priesthood or the Levitical priesthood did or what it looked like. You know, the priests made continual blood animal sacrifices all the time. You know, you read the descriptions, it's when you begin your Bible reading plan, right? And you get through Genesis and you're doing all right, you're doing pretty good. And you get through Exodus and you're doing pretty good. And then you get to Leviticus and you start falling asleep because it starts talking about all of the different uh, regulations and codes and everything. It was a very meticulous and particular sacrificial system which had a a pure point to it and just notice the next time you're reading through leviticus how bloody it is like imagine how bloody it is that you would not do this today Peter would be all over you and it would be very weird if you tried but you have animals and you take them and you slit their throat and you put you sprinkle their blood on places and you pour their blood on places and you take dead animals and dead animal carcasses and it's just it's so bloody. And there's a reason to that. There's a reason for that. And it's not just that that type of animal sacrifice was common in the ancient Near East. So though it's weird and shocking to us, it wasn't weird to them. But that's not really why. It's not just that God did that, oh, because it was familiar to the people. But no, God instituted that sacrificial system the way that it was to point to our need for blood sacrifice for sin. There's a need that we have as sinful people before a holy God for there to be a sacrifice, for there to be a reckoning, for there to be an atoning. 
And we're going to talk about this much more next week as we focus in on Jesus' sacrifice for us. But what we'll say here that's sufficient for our needs this morning is that the problem with the Mosaic Covenant, with the Levitical priesthood, is it couldn't actually meet the need, the most fundamental need that the people had. It wasn't built to do that. And that's clear throughout our passage today and throughout the book of Hebrews. Even the beginning, verse 11, now if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek? Well, of course, another priest did arise. So it showed the weakness, the imperfection of that law, not as a bad law, but as insufficient to give the people what they truly needed. Or down in verse 18, For on the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness, for the law made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. The law was set aside because it could make nothing perfect. It could not perfect the worshiper. Or a couple chapters later, if you turn right in your Bible to Hebrews chapter 10, the very beginning of the chapter, the first four verses, for since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of their sins? But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. The reason that blood sacrifice was so intrinsic and constant and continual under the old covenant priesthood was because of the reminder that the blood gave. The blood showed there's a reminder of sins. There's a need for atoning. And there's just like, there's never, it's never fully done as Hebrews 10 talks about. If those, that blood of bulls and goats had been able to cover their sins, why would they have kept offering? There's a continual offering because the blood of bulls and goats can never take away fundamentally sins. And the Old Covenant, the Levitical priesthood, was not built to do that. It was built to point forward beyond itself. It was built to point forward to Christ Jesus, the true and better sacrifice for our sins. And that's the first way that Jesus' priesthood is better than the Old Covenant priesthood, than the Levitical priesthood. Because the Levites, those priests who continually offered these offerings, their sacrifices, their offerings that they brought to God could never break the power of sin. It could never break the curse of sin that stood over all of us. And Jesus' priesthood is far better because He's able to deal with our deepest need. The curse of sin. Look at verse 27 of our passage this morning. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. The old sacrifices of the Levitical priesthood were not bad. Don't hear me putting down the Old Covenant law as like something that was bad, that we should 
look down upon or denigrate or anything like that. It's just simply it wasn't, it couldn't deal with what needed to be dealt with. It's not, it couldn't do the job. You know, it's like uh, we've been demoing our church building recently, which looks amazing now, by the way. We're going to send out some pictures uh, coming up. But now it's this, it's this clear space. <laughs> They're all downstairs and it's all nice. And many of you partook in that with, I don't think, I think minimal injury. Uh, I don't think we had major injury. Uh, and I don't think that we had major destruction of things that we didn't want to destroy. But uh, we'll see as the project unfolds. But it, it would be like, like going uh, to demo this building and seeing all these gigantic walls and then bringing like a tiny hammer like I did. And then you're trying to like demo the walls with this little hammer. And it's going to take you forever. Like you can't do what you needed to do. Or as I was trying to uh, break down some like old cabinets that were left there and stuff, all I had was a hammer at the first part and I couldn't get the, these like screws and these nails out. So I was like banging against these things with the hammer and making a gigantic you know, ruckus, super loud noise, but it was doing nothing. But then somebody, I don't remember who it was, somebody who's actually knows more about these things than me, who's just trying not to kill himself over there, like, you know, pretending like I'm doing something. He's like, hey, take this sledgehammer. And sledgehammers are amazing tools, right? So if you've ever used them, they're these big, heavy things. And where I was like beating against this old cabinet for probably five or 10 minutes trying to get these things to break off, I took the sledgehammer. I took one, like, I didn't even do anything hard. I just kind of raised it up and let it swing its way through it. And it was like butter. It was just gone, you know, completely gone. Why am I telling this story? I'm telling it because it'd be like, it's not that the Levitical priesthood was bad. It's just not a tool that was meant to break down these walls, that was meant to destroy these cabinets like I was trying to do. It wasn't meant to do that. And the reason, the first reason why Jesus' priesthood is so infinitely better than what the old covenant was is because Jesus' priesthood could break the power and the curse of sin. His sacrifice was actually sufficient to deal with what we need most fundamentally. And that's to have the curse and our bondage to sin, the power of sin, which had us in its grips broken. And Jesus Christ did that when He offered once for all him own, His own self in His body on the tree. He did this once for all when He offered up Himself for us. And so that's the first reason, the first way that Jesus' priesthood is better than the Old Covenant priesthood. By it, He breaks the power that sin had over us. And before we move on to our second point, let me say a word here. If you are not a believer this morning, if you are not a Christian, and maybe this stuff like doesn't make sense to you, you come and we're talking about like blood animal sacrifices and, you know, maybe, maybe you're familiar with it. Maybe you're not familiar with just the kind of story and the narrative of Christianity. This is the most fundamental problem that humanity has. It's our bondage and our enslavement to sin. You and me are born and come into this world slaves to sin, unable to break out of it, unable 
to be made right before a holy and perfect and righteous God. You know, as we sang about in our first song today, like we cannot labor and work at the law good enough to get ourselves out of the curse that sin has brought upon us. And so if you are not a believer in Christ Jesus this morning, let me hear or hear me say that the most fundamental problem that you have, the most fundamental, deepest need that you have is something that you can't get yourself out of. It's that, it's that brokenness that I know you feel inside of yourself. It's a sense of estrangement and you can't quite measure up. And let me plead with you to look to Christ Jesus who offers you the power, offers this power to break the curse of sin, not in and of yourselves, not by anything that you can do, but by work that He has done for you. Look to the cross. Look to the great High Priest who has done what you could not do and broken the power of sin if you would receive Him in faith. And so that's the first way that Christ's priesthood is better than the old covenant priesthood. The second way that it's better is presence. Not power, but presence. And what do I mean by presence? Uh, there's a Latin quote. I'll see if you... It's a little Reformation trivia. I don't think you'll... If you, know, if you do know it, I'm going to be impressed with your Latin skills or with your Reformation skills. Um... There's a uh, reformer who had a popular kind of phrase or formula, and I'm sure I'll pronounce this wrong, but it's simul justice et peccator. Simul justice et peccator. And for those of you who are not Latin nerds and don't know what that means, is simul is kind of simultaneous or at the same time. Justice is righteous or justified. Peccator is sinner, and et is and. And so what that means, simul justice et peccator is simultaneously righteous and a sinner. Simultaneously righteous and a sinner. And the reformer who developed this and who used this all the time was Martin Luther. And he had this idea that he really kind of tried to flesh out in so many of his writings is that even as the power and the curse of sin was broken by Christ Jesus on the cross at Calvary, the power of sin is broken. The presence of sin remains within us. And so we as Christian believers, we walk around simultaneously at the same time righteous, just, and yet still sinners. And we live in this time on the earth now where we are saved, justified, declared righteous before a holy God beautifully, and yet carrying around the presence of sin within us, which is slowly, gradually, and graciously taken away and worked out within us as we grow in holiness to be glorified at the end when we are with Christ forever. And so, the second reason that Jesus' priesthood is better than the old covenant priesthood is because it also has something to say to this problem of the presence of sin within our lives, this continuing presence of sin within our lives, even after the power of sin is broken. 
And the reason it has something to say to it is because Jesus doesn't die anymore. Jesus doesn't die anymore. Look at verse 23 again of our text in chapter 7 with me. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. Um, I've, I don't know if any of you are like me. I've uttered this kind of out loud or in my heart several times when I'm camping of like, I actually really enjoy camping. I like being outside. I like being outdoors and doing that type of stuff. But, uh, I also hate being uncomfortable. So I whine like a little child, um, all the time, if not to my family and my wife and to myself on the inside. And so I've often kind of said to myself, especially when we're eating, like when we're eating and you're dealing with bees and bugs coming around and stuff like that, I've often thought to myself, like, man, camping would be awesome if there weren't so many bugs and bees and flies and mosquitoes and stuff like that. But that's kind of a ridiculous statement to think because, like, that's what you get when you go camping. When you go camping, you are outside. You are amidst the elements. That's part of, like, the beauty and the, like, cathartic nature of it, right, that you love is that, you know, camping would be great if it weren't for so many bugs or all this dirt. Or something like that. Maybe some of you are glampers or you're like, no, nah, I don't, I don't camp unless I'm in a cabin, which is not camping. Or I don't camp unless I'm in a gigantic trailer or something like that. But I bring that up because I feel that within my own heart. And, and, uh, I thought of it because it's kind of similar to saying, to talking about the old priesthood, right? Man, these old priests were great if they just didn't keep dying all the time. Because the old priests, they kept dying because they were human. That's kind of part and parcel for what it is, right? Humans die. They are finite. And Hebrews brings this out when it's talking about Christ's priesthood because one problem with the Levitical priesthood was that it couldn't offer the power that we needed. And the other problem, it couldn't offer the persistence or the permanence that we needed because these priests kept dying, so they couldn't remain in God's presence. They couldn't remain going in to intercede on behalf of the people. They kept dying, and so you had to get another priest, and you had to install them, and then they would die, and so on and so forth. But Jesus is not weak like this. He's not weak like the other priests in that He keeps dying. He lives forever. Look at verse 23 again. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office, but He, that is Jesus, holds His priesthood permanently because He continues forever. Consequently, in light of all of this, because of all of this, He, Jesus, is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through Him since He always lives to make intercession for them. Christ Jesus never dies, so He never has to leave the throne room. Christ Jesus never dies, so He never has to leave the throne of God. The first verse of that song, before the throne of God that we sang during offering, before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea, a great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. My name is graven on His hands. My name is written on His heart. I know that while in heaven He stands, no tongue can bid me thence depart. That means while Jesus is in heaven, no word from anyone or anything, not even the prince of darkness, the accuser Satan himself, 
can make it to where you've got to leave. As long as Jesus is in the throne room before the throne of God above, you and your secure, your standing before God is secure. Jesus will never die, so he never has to leave the throne room. As he, as Hebrews 9.24 puts it, for Christ has entered not into the holy places made with hands, as in the old covenant, in the physical temple, which was made to be a shadow and a pointer to these things. Christ has not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Christ Jesus remains forever in the presence, in the throne room of God, interceding for us. And what is he doing there? Like, what does that intersection, intercession actually mean? Because it's meant to mean something profoundly significant to you. Like, hearing those words that Jesus is in the presence of God continually, forever interceding for you, is supposed to shock you and change your life. And so let's think about what is Jesus actually doing while he's interceding? for us before the throne of God above. Well, he's doing the same thing that he did for Simon Peter in Luke 22. You remember Jesus prays for him before he goes to the cross, or Jesus talks and says to Simon, 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 behold, Satan has demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you, that your faith may not fail, and when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Jesus is doing the same thing that he did to the apostles in John 17, 15. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. Jesus is doing the same thing that the apostle Paul talks about in Romans 8. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Christ Jesus is doing the same thing that he was doing when Stephen, you remember Stephen in the book of Acts, the first martyr for the Christian faith? In Acts chapter 7, he's being murdered for his testimony and refusing to recant about the name of Christ. He says, but he, that is Stephen, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. That Son of Man is standing at the right hand of God, interceding for you on your behalf. He is praying for us even when we don't realize it. And He's pleading with us for God's help with this presence and persistence of sin that's in our lives. The power of sin is broken and dealt with by Christ's sacrifice on the cross, but the presence of sin that remains that you feel and deal with every day when you feel your own brokenness, that you feel and deal with every day when you feel like God is absent or silent in your suffering, when you're undergoing being wronged by other people, when you're being passed over at work unfairly, when your marriage is crumbling, when you can't figure out what to do with your kids or how to get through to them and you're worried about what they're doing. When you are in your most and deepest needs, even when you don't feel it or realize it, do you know where God is? Do you know where Christ Jesus is when we cry out, where are you? Which is not a bad cry. Christ Jesus is before the throne of God above, interceding 
on your behalf. Even when it doesn't feel like it. Do you think it felt like it to Peter? When Peter, when Jesus said, Satan has demanded to have you and sift you like wheat, but I've prayed for you. It didn't feel like that to Peter. It's not like before he was told this, he just felt this like burning and, 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 oh, I feel like Jesus, my ears are burning. Jesus is praying for me. No. But it doesn't change the fact that the spotless Son of God is praying for him. He's pleading for help on his behalf. Or when Stephen is dying in the process of being murdered and he looks up and sees the Son of God at the right hand of the Father interceding for him. He is praying for you when he seems silent. He is praying for you when you continually fail. When you fail again in the same way that you've been failing for four decades with whatever battle and habitual sin that you have in those moments when they weigh down upon you and you feel terrible and you're tempted to despair? Christ Jesus is praying for you. No matter how or what you might feel in the waves of chaos chaos and life, God is on your side. God is on your side in your weakest Times. Consequently, He is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through Him since He always lives to make intercession for them. Jesus' priesthood is better because He deals and breaks, deals with and breaks the power of sin. Jesus' priesthood is better because it deals with the presence, the continually, continuing lingering presence of sin in our lives. And thirdly and finally, Jesus' priesthood is better because it gives us full assurance and access into the throne room of God the Father. It's interesting here in this text and in this section of the book of Hebrews, the point of him talking about all of this is to make us run to God's presence. This is shocking, especially for the Jewish people who, what happened with them, like they had the tabernacle or the temple and there was different layers to the temple you might. There was like the outer courts and then there was the inner courts and then there was the holy place, the holy place in the innermost part which no one could go into except for the high priest and him only once a year on the day of atonement with an offering for himself and for the people where he would go and he would plead and intercede for the people of God. That holy place which was veiled by the curtain, you couldn't go in there. And yet the amazing thing about Jesus' priesthood is what happened when Jesus died, right? Darkness covered the land and the veil was torn from top to bottom that veil separating the holy place from where all the commoners were, where no one would dare set foot because you would die, that veil was ripped in two from top to bottom. And the author to the Hebrews is screaming here. He's like, look at the priesthood of Christ Jesus and run to God. Run into His presence. Because you have free and full access to seek mercy and help in a time of need through Christ Jesus. I've told this story before. 
uh, so you'll have to indulge me again. But I had this uh, professor in college who was also the pastor of the church that I went to, and he was a Bible professor, and he tell the story of after he graduated from college, he it was a different time. He uh, hitchhiked around the country for like two months, and uh, it was kind of his um, his break before he started working, and he was going to propose to his now wife, then girlfriend, when he got back, and so he was just taking this time hitchhiking around the country, and he got a ride from one person and actually stayed at his house that night, and this guy owned a water park, and the water park, it was getting ready to open to the public the next day, but it wasn't open yet to the general public, but it was on. So like all the slides were running and all of like the water was going, everything was there except just nobody was in it. And this guy who's, you know, rando guy who uh, picked up uh, my college professor and pastor, he's like, do you want to go? You can go. And to look, his eyes just kind of bulged out because, you know, that would be cool if you like water parks, right? You don't have to wait in any lines. You don't have to deal with anything. Like you have it all to yourself. And he said he was like a 10-year-old running, making audible like laughing sounds. Nobody's around him, but he's just running from slide to slide and from thing to thing. If you're that kind of person who loves theme parks or water parks, maybe you know. Imagine going to Disneyland and having nobody there. That's hard to imagine, I know. Especially now as they open up Star Wars Land. And that's going to be a... <laughs> Uh, just crazy. But imagine going to Disneyland having nobody there. Not just not crowded, but nobody there. And you could run around and do whatever you wanted. Talk about free access. Free access. And what we're being told here in this passage is access that is much more free and way better than any water park or theme park or anything that you can imagine. It's free access to the Father. Free access to the Creator of all things. Free access before the throne of God above. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence, Hebrews 10 tells us, to enter into the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that He opened for us through the curtain that is through His flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, because all this is true, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our blood and our bodies washed with pure water. Or Hebrews four, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are and yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. The point of Jesus' priesthood is to tell you, is to show you the power of sin has been broken. The presence of sin in your life. You have an advocate before His throne. And you have free access, not just available to you, but you are commanded to use it. You and I are commanded to run to the Father so that we might find mercy and grace to help in our time of need. This is the God who spoke the heavens 
and the earth into existence. Billions of galaxies into existence who can do all things and He commands you to run into His presence so that you might find mercy and grace to help in a time of need. Before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea. A great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. My name is graven on his hands. My name is written on his heart. I know that while in heaven he stands, no tongue can bid me thence depart. While Christ Jesus stands in the throne room of God, no one can tell you to get out. No one can tell you that you don't belong there. No one can tell you that the brokenness in inside yourself that still remains, that grieves you, will have the final say. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck you from His hand as long as Jesus sits in the throne room before the throne of God above. Because He says, they are mine. He is mine. She is mine. We are connected with Christ Jesus. What a precious gift that we have. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of God in Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No. In all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Brothers and sisters, this is an amazing truth. This is the most spectacular thing you will hear all morning. All day, all week, I promise you. When you go from here and you are dealing with your own brokenness, when you find yourself stuck in the mire of pain and guilt and shame, the sin of others or the sin of yourself, look to the throne of God above. Tell yourself what is true. Christ Jesus sits in the throne room above and He bids you to come. I am praying for you. I am pleading for you. Come so that you might find mercy and help and grace to help in your time of need. That is why the priesthood of Christ Jesus is so amazing. That is why we look and we join with our brothers and sisters from around the world, from all times, past, present, and future, and we rejoice in the coming One who has come, who was pointed to in all the sacrifices of the Old Testament, who has come been crucified, died, resurrected, and exalted to the heavens, and who now sits pleading on our behalf. And so I plead with you, take comfort and rest assured. Rest assured, believer in Christ Jesus, because He has secured your salvation from sin's power and from sin's presence. Let's pray.
Father, it is indeed a wonderful truth, a glorious truth that consequently He is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to You through Him since He always lives to make intercession. And so God, we confess that we are weak. We confess that we are broken. We confess that we are sinful and that we desperately need You and yet we rejoice that we have You. We have You as Your Word states through our connection to Your Son, our great High Priest. The High Priest whom we see even now in this table His body as seen through the bread. His blood as seen through the wine. Which as surely as we can taste it, feel it, hold it in our hands, chew it with our teeth, taste it with our tongue, that's how sure we can be that Christ Jesus died for us and that He now sits in the throne room before you pleading our case as we know that You are not a reluctant Father. For it is Your design. You gave Your only Son to make this happen. And so how amazing is it for us that the God of all creation is on our side pleading for us, interceding for us, and ready, willing, and actively helping in our time of need even when we don't see it or feel it or know it. So would You bless us as we partake of the Lord's Supper of communion right now and as we go from here this week, singing your praises, living in fellowship and love for one another, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.